Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast and I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today is episode 20 and we have Peter Ling joining the podcast. Peter runs the Secret Betting Club, which this host likes to call the Trip Advisor of Tipsters. In an industry with unscrupulous touts and legitimate winners, the Secret Betting Club reviews, researches and rates tipsters over the long term. The Secret Betting Club is an independent and quality service that helps punters and bettors with all the information that they need to succeed. As always, you can find us at businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback and potential guests you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy my chat with Peter Ling. I'm joined by Peter Ling. Peter, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, thanks very much, Jake. I'm delighted to, to be invited onto the podcast. So, Peter, for those who aren't aware of what you're up to, do you want to go into sort of your background and some of the history and your story and how you got involved with betting and, I guess, leading up to what you're doing now? Sure. Um, well, we'll probably have to go back a good 15 years or so um, to when I first started getting interested in in betting, so that's kind of my my early twenties. Um, seems a long way now. Um, so, yeah, basically, I, I always had an interest in sports, and I always had an interest in statistics and, and maths. So, at the time, you know, fifteen years ago, betting was you know, really starting to kind of um, become more and more popular. Um, I kind of worked in a in a design job where I had access to to the internet. You know, no one was really checking what I was doing, so I had plenty of time to to research sports, research betting markets, to kind of understand the different types of bets, all this kind of stuff. And it just really appealed to me. Uh, obviously, you know, it was easy to open betting accounts and to kind of get involved in, in the whole area of betting at the time. Um, but I, I think I quickly realized that, you know, to, to win at betting was really tough. Um, you know, unless you had, you know, real skills and expertise and, or, and also the time available to put into your kind of research and your you know, you're betting uh, the bets that you place. It, it was really difficult. Um, I, I kind of look at it like it was most people, you know, when they talk about their, their, their driving ability, I think most people overestimate how good they are. They, they might say they're in the top 10, 20% of, of drivers, but the reality is, you know, most someone's in the bottom 10 and 20%. So I think it's the same with betting. You know, people really overestimate how how good or bad they are at, uh, or, you know, how good they are at betting. So, I think I quickly realized that and you know I, that's when I started to to kind of get into the world of you know tipsters which also led to you know the secret betting club which we'll no doubt discuss uh you know so that's from there really and and so with that understanding I started to research you know the whole world of tipsters uh, I started investing in a few and found a few good ones you know found a few bad ones uh, and you know from there everything since then has kind of snowballed with, with SBC. So what's the tipster culture like and what was it like back when you were getting involved in the early days? Well, it all started to change obviously with, you know, with the internet and becoming, you know, Wi-Fi become more widespread and, you know, it's so much easier to set up uh, websites and all this kind of stuff. So uh, back probably when I was first starting, uh, you know, I think tipsters used to send uh, mail shots through the post 
And you know, there'd generally be the usual scam stuff. So it'd be like a, a fast car, it'd be a swimming pool, you know, it'd be pictures of money. Uh, and it would kind of be touting, you know, expensive fees with no proof and verification and call this premium phone line. But obviously with the internet, that kind of started to change. It reduced the costs. Uh, there was, you know, some transparency so people could research and find out about different tipsters. So yeah, the back in back, you know, what people were thinking of, maybe some people still have this kind of outdated idea of what tipsters are like, but it certainly has changed, you know, so you no longer, you know, have to ring premium phone lines to be told to back a, a two to nine favorite. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was, it was difficult at the time. So when we were researching, you know, my, my future business partner and I, we were researching tipsters and, and you know, the betting world, it, it was tough because there wasn't, you know, access, you know, really easy access to information. Um, but, uh, you know, eventually, you know, we got there and, and since then, you know, there's been a significant change in, in kind of how tipsters operate and how they're kind of evaluated. So let's get into the secret betting club. Um, when did you start it? Oh, that was May 2006. So um, we, we started back then and, and because we, you know, my business partner and I at the time, we were soon to be future business partner we were just working together as two friends interested in betting uh, he had uh, he came from more of a financial market history uh, background so things like day trading you know the stocks and shares it's a different world to what I was used to but you know together with my kind of knowledge of sports and his kind of background in data analysis and numbers and the financial um, you know financial side of things there's a you know a good team so we started to work together following tipsters together kind of analyzing um, you know, different betting experts, and I remember we received through the post. It was a, it was a, a mail shot for a kind of tipster, not a tipster review site, but just a betting product review site and tipster review, kind of whatever systems are out there, any kind of products that they could get their hands on. But you know, it was meant to be this review site, but actually, some of the products it was reviewing were ultimately flawed, and it seemed you know it was quite transparent to us that we could see some of these products. They're only being recommended probably because he was making a cut from, you know, the recommendations from from recommending the, these these products. So, for us at the time, it just made sense to do something a little bit different because we knew there were some good products out there, and you know, we could actually help people uh, by providing them some actual genuine advice rather than just because someone paid, you know, the highest fee uh, for for me to to review them positively. So I went on your site and spent a little bit of time on there and then I went back and spent a little bit more time and then went back and spent a little bit more time and I was fascinated by the amount of really good information on there and I guess it sort of struck me as the, for one of a better, or for a bad analogy, as the trip advisor of sports betting tipsters and I guess you spend so much time and effort and resources in digging deep into what the tipsters are offering and exactly you know, how well they're doing in different sort of segments. And it was a fascinating insight to, I guess, an industry that has, as far as I've seen, been largely sort of seen as a scam con artist sort of industry. And there's a lot of nefarious activity going on. So why don't you tell, I guess, me and also the listeners about sort of the mission statement and the aim of the site and I guess what Secret Betting Club sort of means to you and perhaps even a better analogy than my trip advisor of tipsters. So that's a good way of putting it. You know, it's an easy comparison site for, for the tipsters. Uh, you know, there's a site in in, in England and it's called Witch, and it would, would, would you know report on uh, compare different products. And so, 
um, yeah, it's it's a good analogy. It's a good way of of, uh, of kind of explaining what we do a little bit. And you're right. You know, we've been going 11 years, so there's a heck of a lot of you know information on there because you, know, you can get the whole back catalogue. So if we reviewed someone back in 2008 and they're still going, you can read the original review, any subsequent re-reviews, and all the updates that we've we've uh, you know provided uh, uh, upon them. So. Um, you know, so if anyone, you know, basically what we do, our mission statement is to help promote and find the very best uh, betting tipsters. That's kind of the, the prime section of what we actually do. So our, our main work is dedicated to that. So that goes into some very in-depth reviewing of well, once we find, identify the best tipsters, we then set in, you just set in place a kind of a very detailed review process where we, you know, identify and, and, and look into all aspects of the, of the particular tipster. Uh, once we review them, we then report back on their progress. So it's not, we're not just leaving you with a tipster, you know, from three years ago and say, there's a review. Uh, that's what our recommendation is. You kind of pick up on how they perform since then, you know, because the idea being, we don't. We want to review and recommend those which have a long-term uh, performance behind it, and which are able to maintain that performance. Um, and and on the, off the back of that, you know, because we've our kind of our remit has expanded beyond just who's a good tipster uh, and you know who's the ongoing best tipster to other areas that are connected to it. So, you know, it could be like the best bookmakers, the worst bookmakers. It might be uh, discussions on restrictions and, and closures of the betting account and what to do about that um, you know that it might be in a, in a busy area a big area that we do focus on is the psychological side of betting you know how to deal with with good runs and how to deal with bad runs you know how to how to set up with uh, you know the right kind of money management which is a very overlooked kind of area of, of, of betting especially you know if you're following a, a tipster because you have to put your trust in them so you need to make sure you're set up properly um, so yeah, it's, it's a wider remit these days, but you know, if you want to simplify it, definitely we're just uh, a trip advisor for tipsters. <laughs> so you made a lot of great points there and we'll touch on some of them as we go along. The first thing that sort of struck me when I was spending sort of a fair few hours going through a lot of the content was why would tipsters with you know long-term positive expectation value tips be giving them away? And obviously it's a lucrative trade if you can be winning long term because you're gonna have a lot of followers and perhaps subscribers and things like that but what are some of the i guess discussions that you've had with those tipsters and some of the reasons behind why they are happy to you know sign up to your service and sign up to give away or have subscribers buy their tips well i guess people want to develop a business around their expertise and uh uh, you know, rather than just rely on their betting income, which as you know anyone that bets will know, betting returns can be volatile. You know, you could be, up, you know, you could have a fantastic month one month and then lose a lot the next, and it's it's about the long term. So I think many people are, are looking to supplement their betting income by you know, setting up a a business. Um, you know, why do people? Uh, you know, why do people uh, prove to us, if you like, and why do why do people want to kind of get our trust? I think that goes back to some of the, you know, original points where you know the industry has kind of got this slightly, you know, a bit of a bad reputation. So, you know, you need to you know, they want to be verified. They want to be proven to be, um, you know, running a, a fair service with good customer service with a long history of performance, which you know, other third parties. Um, can, can verify. So how have the tipsters responded to some of the in-depth coverage you've had? And it's not sort of one and done either. It's 
it's uh you know year by year analysis and a lot of really good uh sort of deep insights into what they're doing has there been any reluctance from certain tipsters uh yeah i mean we've always come across reluctance always found it certain certain reviews to be difficult um you know if the ultimate ultimately goes back to you know we have to tell what's accurate so if our reputation rises and falls and, and if we uh, you know on, on on making sure our reviews are as in-depth and as uh, accurate as possible so if i you know if i review a tipster and find a tipster and i find there's a flaw in their particular products i can't not write about that you know i have to put that forward and it does you know make for some difficult conversations at times um but you know how the tipster often reacts to that is, is really informative you know I, I can think of two examples where where recently over the past uh, six to 12 months where there's been two different tipsters that I've reviewed at different times uh, and, and both had some substantial flaws that we were able to uncover. The first tipster, you know, we put it to him and he was, you know, he'd made some mistakes, you know, his record keeping was poor and we found some holes in his results and he just held his hands up and said, look, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I made a mistake, it wasn't good enough uh, and, you know, started to uh, explain some of those reasons and what he's going to do differently uh, and then you know he offered a bit of a free trial and you know just ability to kind of build the confidence of um, of the person that was reading the review because he knew we were going to publish it um, and then another guy recently you know I reviewed his product and it's only by digging into the actual product itself and its results we're able to ascertain that there was some kind of you know, some results in there that weren't kind of adding up particularly well. Um, you know, they were based on different kind of bets that weren't weren't very obvious. So it's only by drilling into it we were able to pick it out. And, and and we said, look, we can't. We have to make this clear because you know the results you're putting forward are not to our, to my mind, not going to be replicated by you know our members. If someone joins your service, they if they think they're going to make X amount of profit, but reality is they're not going to make that at all. They're going to make significantly less. Um, you know, they're not. They're not going to be particularly happy, so I have to put that forward. You know, his response was pretty negative. You know, he, was, he thought I was, you know, he thought I was casting aspersions on on his service and, and the people that work there, and you know, uh, claiming all, all kinds. So you know, uh, you kind of get these different responses, but uh, I guess that's you know, it's all part and parcel of being a review service. You know, uh, most of the time, the tips that we focus on are actually the good ones because that's where we want to put our attention. That's where we want to put our time because ultimately, that's where it's going to have the most benefit for people that join our service. Uh, but occasionally, yeah, as we get into some of the results or get into aspects of the service with the in-depth reviews and in-depth data analysis that we perform, we do pick out some some of these problems. And yeah, it's never never nice to you know have these kind of confrontations. Yeah, absolutely. So what what segment of the betting sort of market are using tipsters? Is it or who do they sort of appeal to? Because Certainly, if I don't have any expertise in an area or a sport and I want to have a bet because I like that sport, I don't necessarily want to buy tips, especially if I'm not betting too much money. So are there a certain segment or type of personality that you've found who are, you know, happy to pay for tips if they're going to be, you know, winning over the long term? Um, I think it's a wide range. It's a wide audience, really. I've not found, you know, I've not found a certain demographic that is particularly, you know, it's particularly obvious to, to in terms of the membership. Uh, I think people who do join have things in common. So often they um, they either quite uh, time poor, 
so you know maybe they are looking um, for some assistance uh, because they don't have the time to put into the to the research of their own betting, or they're aware of their own shortcomings when it comes to betting. Uh, that's often a key one. You know, when I speak to people who join, they tried. Um, you know, they tried to bet themselves. They've not had much success, so they decide. You know, like like I did very in, in the very early days to find someone that can can you know, can actually provide the expertise that they they don't actually have. So when you're going through, and you're obviously an expert at this now, how do you or what sort of tools can you use to try and find out if it's sort of a scam or a con artist sort of giving away tips that aren't necessarily verifiable or correct? What sort of some general advice you can give to those in other jurisdictions who might be thinking about even 50 bucks or 100 bucks for a subscription to a service? Are there some things that they can sort of check sort of pretty quickly and know if it's worthwhile or is it a long laborious process that you go down and it's obviously very, very valuable for a lot of people, but it's sort of not necessarily scalable for the sort of average Joe punter? Yeah, so I mean, one of the, the first bits of advice I would say is if it sounds too good to be true it probably is so um you know if someone's claiming a 75 75 strike rate or you know a 60 percent return on investment um that's you know that is as unheard of and it's, it's very likely not not accurate at all but uh, some of the more you know other other ways to, to to kind of look into it is third party verification um you know we offer the secret betting club offers a, a free proofing service we're not the only ones there are several other people who offer it for free and they are reputable so there's no reason for somebody not to have their advice verified. You know, that's number one. Um, number two would be things like looking at their website. You know, how much information do they provide? Uh, you know, a, a basic requirement would be, you know, is there a list of all the results? Uh, or is it just a list of the winners? Or is it just a list of, you know, the, the best that they want you to see? Um, if it's, you know, if it's just a sample, a small sample of the best of, of the highlights, that's, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a big warning sign. Um, and then also, I always find you can gauge a lot by you know communicating by sending emails or maybe through social media. You know what, what's the, what's their kind of approach? How do they treat their customers? You know, do they? You know, there's no, no harm in asking them a few questions like uh, you know, what size betting band do you have, or, or you know what's your approach to um, you know what's your approach to settling uh, prices? Do you quote the best price, or do you quote uh, a price after five minutes, or th these kind of things? And some simple questions like that. Fire an email, and you know if you get a one-line response, uh, or you don't get a response i think that might tell you everything but uh, you know some of the best service of best services often have good customer service so i'd also include that just to you know you can just just send an exploratory email or, or tweet and it will inform you quite well so what about anonymity i've found certainly in the sports betting areas there's a lot of anonymous tipsters or they've got sort of other names they use, whether it's sort of catchy names or money names, bling names, things like that that they use to, I guess, attract certain audiences. What does that tell you when you find anonymous tipsters? Because I'm sure there's some that are fine, um, but it seems like I'm guessing the majority, uh, when they're anonymous, they're anonymous for a reason. Yeah, I mean, there are occasions when I've dealt with people who had to be anonymous due to their job. So people that worked uh, in the betting industry in certain ways, you know, maybe the worked at bookmakers or worked uh, in you know the horse racing industry or whatever it might be so there are occasions when yeah you, there is that uh, that need to hide their identity but like that like you say you know if most of the time i know who i'm dealing with i know their name um you know i might never meet them i might never pick up the phone have a conversation with them 
but uh, you know I know their first name you know their last name I kind of know get to know them a little bit so I find that does help yeah and I think uh, if you can't get details from someone and there's no good reason why then yeah, that is that is a warning sign so one thing I see on Twitter a lot certainly is that such and such tipster is seven and one last eight plays or you know 21 and six last 27 plays and things like that what is your opinion on the idea of a hot streak or a hot hand when it comes to betting and tipping and those types of things is there a i guess a theory do you have a theory about it is it something that you're happy to push or promote or stand behind if someone is in some sort of streak mode is that something that's legitimate and something you've seen that's sort of sustainable or is it something that's just variance and will eventually be you know captured in that sort of ups and downs of of betting and gambling yeah i think it's a lot of the time it's just variance you know if you know there's six from seven all seven of those events are independent of each other so there's no way you know there's there's no real connection between them um you know i i really try and point uh, secret betting club members away from getting overly concerned and overly excited about short-term form it's just just the variance you know you're just going through good runs and bad runs and but you have to look at the long term so you know one of the reasons we only offer a 12-month subscription to our service is because we don't want people to you know join for two weeks give it a go and then walk away because ultimately it's doing no one any favors you know you need to commit to if you're going to follow a you know a tipster we we put a, a patience rating on them so you know if you follow in um if you're following a guy who's tipping at big odds, uh, double-figure odds, for example, with a low strike rate, you're going to go through some tough times. You're going to need to be patient. So um, you need to, need to bear all those things in mind. Uh, and if, if that doesn't appeal to you, then you know go go find one of the guys that's got a 50% strike rate, um, and you know we'll, we'll we'll kind of you won't have those kind of high variance kind of uh, kind of betting approach. So I don't really put much in that when I was thinking about this kind of thing um, the one area some of the certain areas you can be aware of are certain things around uh, conditions and time of year so by conditions uh, let's think about like, the horse racing uh, in, in England last week it's summer at the moment there and what's well, an English summer so it means it's raining a lot so it's unseasonal weather and uh, you know the conditions were difficult there was a lot of non-runners so times like that you know where I would I would I would be wary about kind of betting because of a hot streak but because it's very unpredictable um, and you know in terms of like the Premier League let's say that's just that's just come back in you know and there's not not much form in, in that league so um, you know the first three or four weeks you might want to duck out of those kind of things so they're the kind of streaks and old times that I'd be more interested in rather than kind of you know hot streaks where it's mainly just variants. So let's talk about bookmakers and corporate bookmakers because I guess in the current environment to a large extent there's a lot of restrictions on accounts that are winning and there's a lot of closures or there's a lot of bets that are being rejected. I would imagine this has a large impact on not only your winning tipsters and most of your tipsters but also the clients and how do you go about dealing with that? Do you approach it at all or do you discuss it with the tipsters and the clients and have you come up with any sort of ways to or solutions uh for this issue yeah so it is a big issue and it is one that we you have covered in depth certainly not shying away from it um in terms of uh, who it impacts it impacts the the sport and the market you're betting on depends on how much it'll impact you so some of the more niche 
areas, and I would include horse racing in that. Um, it's more difficult to to get you know to win substantial sums of money uh, on horse racing and not suffer. You know, you're more likely to suffer restrictions through if you're betting uh, heavily on horse racing with bookmakers, and then you know some of the niche leagues. So. You know, if you're betting on Spanish League Two, if you're betting in the Colombian Premier Division, you know, if you're betting in areas where there's not a lot of money traded, um, you're going to suffer uh, potential restrictions. Compare that to, you know, sports like football, tennis and golf, where there's lots of money, there's lots of liquidity on the exchanges uh, in Asia. Uh, those those things are less likely to, to impact you. And which is advice, you know, certain part of the advice we, we supply to you know, secret betting club members is, you know, be careful and be shrewd about how much you're staking and where you're betting on what sports. So you know, maybe you need to spread your stakes around. Maybe you need to bet at different times when the market's got more money in it. Uh, maybe you need to throw a few curveballs for the bookmaker so they don't think you're, you're, you're shrewd. Um, so it is, you know, it is an increasing issue. But I think if you're cute about it and you're shrewd about it and you have you know, the expertise behind you to, to say, this is what you need to be careful of, this is how you need to structure your betting, structure your staking, you, know, you can kind of, you, you, can, you can obviously you know, live with it and, and, and still get by. Um, but uh, you know, it's an increasing issue, but uh, and one that is impacting sports like horse racing more and more these days, that's for certain. So what about exchanges and marketplaces? What sort of position do they have in the, I guess, in the bookmaker operator world? Are they something that will ultimately take over from corporate bookmakers or are they going to have a much larger presence when we're talking about the, the matchbooks and the betfairs of the world because a lot of smart punders are being shut down and if they can't get their, their money down, they're going to go to either other sports, they're going to go elsewhere or they're going to have to look to other betting platforms other than the corporate bookmakers? Yeah, I think more and more people are going onto the exchanges. Uh, Betfair has obviously been around for a long time, but yeah, Betfair has been around, but still all the other, you know, high street bookies are still there and they're still, you know, they're, they're still making significant profits. Whether that's going to change with some of the clampdown upon, you know, in the, in, in the United Kingdom of um, the fixed odds uh, betting terminals, which are providing a large swathe of those profits is, is to be seen. But, uh, yeah, more and more punters are going to them, but you know, even with Betfair being around for so long, you know, like I say the bookmakers are still there. But uh, what has been good, as you mentioned, your know, matchbook. Also, I, I like Smarkets. They're very good on you know both of those matchbook um, Smarkets and uh, Matchbook are increasing uh, their volume and liquidity and providing uh, more competition to Betfair, who had you know a monopoly on it really for a long time, uh, and they're, they're they've got lower commission rates. Uh, which is which is you know for the punter's benefit you know so it's it's driving down uh, the costs to to use the exchanges uh, and hopefully more and more people will you know start to to go over there um, and start to use these exchanges because you're not going to get restricted on them um, you know my advice for anybody is if you can place your bet on an exchange or a bookmaker place it on the exchange you know always always put that first um, you know and. Uh, and make that your 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 first port of, port of call. So you mentioned sort of being shrewd about your staking and things like that. Are there any other pieces of advice you can give to the professionals or those who do well in a certain area, whether it be a lower division league and they can't quite get the volume down, or even just the average punter who maybe goes on a bit of a streak and then they sort of see their bets limited in a certain sport or things like that? Do you have any sort of 
I guess, life hacks and, and secret tips you can give for those people who are in those situations? Or is it just the reality of the betting market these days and it's something that has to be accepted if you're going to win, that you're going to face it and you've just got to deal with it like you deal with many other aspects of sort of betting and gambling? Yeah, it is ultimately it's a, it's a fact of life that it probably will happen even with the best will in the world. I guess what I'm helping people do is as best as they can is to ex, ex, extend the life uh, span of their accounts, uh, and you know it can make a big difference. So some of the things I would say would be you're tracking how much you're winning with one bookmaker, um, how much you've won on certain of the niche sports. I know I include horse racing. That's not really niche. It's more in terms of the where there's less volume traded and um, in, in that area, so you know, be be aware of that. So if you're winning significant monies on either the Premier League or over Asian handicaps, you're not going to worry about it. But uh, you know, if you have made, if you backed a bunch of horses at big prices that have won, uh, be careful. You know, maybe you want to do something like uh, back a favourite and lay it on Betfair. You you might lose. Um, you might lose a few percent on that, but what's the value of your uh, of your uh, of your betting account, of your bookmaker account? Um, so, you know, some of the advice that I've been given along the way are things like chucking in twenty pounds on the casino, you know, have a spin on the casino, uh, have a spin on the roulette, the things that they want you to bet on. So, I chuck in some accumulators. Um, you know, you needn't do them for, for large stakes, and uh, it just kind of helps to throw the bookmaker off the scent that you know what you're doing. Because if they just see a pattern of, you know, shrewd bet, you've took a good price here, um, you know, you've had a whole bunch of winners on this market, uh, that, you know, there's going to get flagged. But then if you, you're chucking in a bunch of curveballs where they can't see a pattern and it looks like you've got lucky, then that certainly, you know, can help extend uh, the life of your account. You know, for those listeners based in uh, who are able to bet with the bookmaker Black Type, they're also a really interesting newcomer, relative newcomer to uh, the betting scene. So, you know, with a sport like horse racing, which is very popular with people I'm, you know, secret betting club members, um, they're willing to lay up to, to lose up to five hundred pounds um, uh, on a horse racing bet from eight thirty in the morning. So. They might not always be best price, um, but uh, they're still competitive. We did some analysis; odds are still pretty good. Um, you know, look to use them, look to use the exchanges, and um, you know, if you're you continue with horse racing, for example, because it's it's a really important one. Um, one of the big areas, and it goes into our review analysis as well, is um, the time of day that the tips puts up uh, their bets. So one kind of a sneaky way some racing tipsters like to kind of pump up their performance is by advising a horse racing bet, say at 6 p.m. the night before it's due to race. So maybe the race is going at 3 p.m. the next day. That's 21 hours ahead. Uh, the prices at 6 p.m. the night before are going to be you know very very flimsy at best. And if you're following a, 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 even a half decent tipster, those odds are going to get slashed in. You might back it at 21 the night before, 20 to 1, it'll be perhaps 10 to 1 by the morning and then start at 6 to 1. You know, even if it wins or not, your account is just not going to last uh, at, at all long if you, if you keep doing that. So um, that's another bit of advice for people, um, you know, on horse racing. And then, you know, that goes back into what to look out for with tipsters. If you're, if you're looking for horse racing tips, it's vitally important you know what time they're tipping up. Uh, and if they're tipping up into illiquid markets, uh, yeah, be very, very careful indeed. Some very interesting concepts and advice. I hadn't heard of some of those, especially casino spins and things like that, or even just 
betting a horse you don't necessarily want to be on, but if you can sort of lay off somewhere else and and put in a position, even a small losing position, that'll extend the life of your account. That's a very interesting, I guess, advice for those who are in that lucky sort of range of getting their accounts closed down because it certainly doesn't happen to all of us. I want to talk about the issues of tipsters entering into sort of arrangement with bookmakers for uh, giving, not necessarily losing tips, but for punters who they sort of refer who are losing. Is that something that's sort of widespread or is it not a huge issue that you've sort of come across? Um, it is becoming more and more widespread. Um, it's one reason that I don't, at SBC, we don't review any tips with just a social media presence. The, the thinking is that it's too easily manipulated. You know, you can delete posts and tweets, you can set up new accounts so easily. Um, and there has been an increase in, I've noticed on social media, of tips is doing kind of challenges. Um, you know, often they're trying to win, you know, 10 short price bets and they're kind of compound staking. Uh, but they always say, you know, bet with, you know, bet with X bookmaker or Y bookmaker. And that is because they are on a lost share deal. And it's a big problem because they're putting forward that, you know, follow me, I'm an expert. Um, but ultimately they're, they're only interested in putting up uh, losing tips. Uh, the bookmaker wins, the punter loses. So, um, and, and they may make 10, 20% of, 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 of the losses that uh, they, they send to the bookmaker uh, via these bets. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a real problem area. And I know if, for example, if you're on Instagram or, you know, social media, I'm sure it's just Instagram, maybe it's Twitter as well. And if you're promoting a product and uh, you don't make it clear that you're promoting it, uh, you can get blacklisted in various ways, can't you? So I think perhaps something needs to, to happen on that front and there needs to be some kind of clarity. Um, you know, it, we've, there's been a lot of developments, you know, with the Gambling Commission in, in, in the United Kingdom, um, in England, because there's all, all kinds of problems with bookmakers, restrictions being the, the tip of the iceberg here. And they're starting to flex their muscles, which is long overdue. And you know, I think this is perhaps one of the areas they, they might need to focus on as well. So what are the, some of the stories you've heard or have you been, I guess, privy to some of the machinations behind how it actually works? Does it, is it someone at a bookmaking, I guess, operator talking to a person who's active on social media accounts and things like that, literally discussing taking a cut of all of the losses and trying to attract those recreational punters? Because I've seen some bite back from those types of accounts saying, well, I just want sort of my followers to get access to a lot of free bets and yeah, they might lose, but if they get a lot of free bets and have some fun in the meantime, I'm not really too worried about it. What's sort of your insights, if you have any, on how that actually plays out? Yeah, well, I think all bookmakers have, uh, most of uh, all have affiliate programs, um, which, uh, you know, reward people who refer customers to them. And a majority of them are lost revenue based. Um, so it's kind of widespread and it's kind of, it kind of accepted, I suppose. There's a few, so if you you work with uh, any of the exchanges, they'll make it based on uh, a percentage of the commission, potentially, or, or if it's a broker, it might be on turnover, a very small percentage. Um, but most of the bookmakers, yes, it's all on less revenue. I, I don't know the you know how how these these kind of things work and what the kind of conversations that go on actually are. But I'm I'm sure whilst they might you know put forward that oh. Well, it's just for a bit of fun and uh, this kind of thing. You know, some of these guys with with large followers, a large number of followers, will be making significant sums uh, you know, from all of this. So, you know, hopefully, something you know can be done about it. Yeah, certainly. So, do you have any 
I guess over the, you mentioned 11 years you've been doing this, are there any traits that stand out from some of the best tipsters who have sort of long track records and things you've sort of delved in pretty deep and seen some of the things they're doing that you can share or is it pretty simple and it's hard work and getting the best number and a lot of the things that we hear consistently or are there things that sort of stand out to you as some of the, I guess, the more positive traits from those who are winning long term? Yeah, well, I think in this day and age, one of the most important traits that a tipster can kind of offer is uh, being fair with the odds that they both quote and settle to. So I touched briefly on horse racing tipsters and the most putting up prices that you, you can't get, uh, or even if you can, you'll be restricted. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's one of the kind of the key things uh, and how SBC has evolved in our reviews, really, because when we first started, you know, you could win pretty much whatever you wanted up to a certain extent, you know, maybe five figure sums with a bookmaker um, without issue per year. Uh, whereas, you know, those days have long gone. So one of the things that we've looked for is odds availability. So if a tipster's quote in a certain price, how long does that price stay available for? Uh, which bookmaker is that price uh, put up with? Are they reputable? Can you get on? Will they restrict? So, you know, that is that is kind of the key thing I would look for these days is, um, you know, the, about the prices, that their bookmaker policy, the, the way they quote their results and, and settle their results. Um, you know, things like um, with horse racing, you have rule four deductions, which are, you know, it's a percentage deduction if there's a non-runner in the race after you place the bet. Now, some tipsters don't quote for that. They don't include that in their in their kind of performance, and it can be significant. So, if a favourite is removed from a race, you know, you could have a forty percent uh, reduction, for example. So, and that's obviously a big deduction if your bet goes on to win. So, things like that are really important to kind of gauge. And uh, so, the best tipsters have really fair policies on that. They you don't need to ask them what they are. They kind of make it clear on their website or they make it clear on their results sheet or, you know, in some way they, they're trying to illustrate just how, how fair they are. So that's the key thing I would, I would look for is that practicality of can you replicate the results that the tipster is, is putting forward. Yeah, absolutely. So I, when I was digging into your site, I noticed some sort of ready-to-go betting systems you had on there. I think there was one for golf that I sort of spent a bit of time going through is that correct? And what's sort of the rationale behind providing that sort of information? Uh, well, that's more of a legacy system, you know. So that was one that was put forward and uh, kept kept on the site. Um, so there's less uh, on some of the systems these days. Um, you're generally finding some of the systems, uh, finding new ones, finding good ones is really difficult. Um, there still needs to be an element of kind of human interaction, human involvement in it. So that's why you know, we've kept some of these golf ones on there and they're still useful and they're still informative. Um, but uh, you know, they haven't found anything necessarily of quality to, to replace it. Um, and anyway, it's an interesting point you know, talking about betting systems because I, I do get a lot of emails about them because that is an area where there's still a lot of marketing, a lot of uh, emails going out about this wonder system. Uh, it'll change your life. The reality is there's a few and far between um and if you can find a good system you know do let me know because you know, haven't found too many uh, of late that that continue to work well that's the reason i ask because i i certainly these days with the prevalence of social media and computing power and technology these systems sort of aren't around very long and the more i talk to people the more they say yeah i had an edge for half a season or you know a few months and things like that and then they just disappeared so i guess it's something that's sort of 
everyone's dealing with now and they've got to add, they've got to add different variables to their models and they've got to update things and continue to evolve and learn and be curious and sort of transfer from other sports and and other people who are betting and winning and taking little you know tidbits from everywhere they can to sort of add to their possibility overall of winning yeah well the, the market becomes more efficient doesn't it it reacts to all the different inputs coming into it so you do need to evolve with it you know whether it's evolving with the changing state of where you can bet and who you can bet with or whether it's just the market and and just becoming more efficient as, as more inputs come into it so it, yeah it's 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 become harder and harder to to certainly beat without constant evolution and constantly being on top of and tweaking what you're actually doing and that's why we found I think that some of the, the, the best sources are actually these tipsters who are real experts and they understand their strengths and understand their weaknesses so they're able to adapt and change um, which keeps them you know, one step ahead of, of the bookmaker yeah absolutely uh, one more thing I want to touch on is money management you have a lot of good information on the Secret Betting Club site about that. Do you want to just touch on a couple of the main points that you sort of offer and I guess some of the things that people should be looking to do if they want to be more serious about their betting? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, money management is, is critical really for making the most of, of, of your betting. Uh, it's just some simple things can make a big difference. So, uh, you know, setting up uh, how much money you have to bet with is important. So it's segregating that so you're not just kind of dipping into your bank account or you know your your day-to-day uh, current account, uh, and you're never really on top of how much you're winning and losing. So it's good to separate that, and then also having uh, following the staking plan of tips to put forward and using a designated betting bank for that. So that's just you know it's a fictional way of, of segregating some of that money and saying that is dedicated to this tipster, and I'm going to follow if he's. If he's betting in points and he says, you know, one point for me is worth £10, is worth $20, whatever it might be. But then you have that kind of um, discipline and understanding of how much you should be staking on any given bet. And that's important for so many reasons. You know, least of all, how to handle a bad run. We can all handle good runs, generally okay. I mean, some people do go overboard, but handling bad runs and losing runs is one of the most critical things uh, any aspiring punter can kind of learn to overcome. Um, I've seen so many people kind of walk away because they, they couldn't handle a, a bad run. And obviously the money, mani- money management, having a betting bank, having a staking plan is probably the ultimate way of keeping on top of that. So, you know, if you can see the history of the service and you can see prior previous bad runs, and you can see how you cope with them and the service came out of it and went out the other side and, and actually is making profit again. It brings you that confidence. You know, you know you can handle it. You know it's been through that before. And you can also see what you've made and if you're, you know, if you're up. Uh, and you can keep your staking consistent. So the temptation might be during a good and bad run to change the stakes or I'll put half stakes on, I'll put quarter stakes on because it's it's having a it's having a poor run. Reality is, you know, variance is such that it's just randomness and, and, and there's nothing to, to reduce your stakes. But as soon as you do, a good run's going to hit and you're going to miss out. Uh, and, uh, you know, all that hard work's going to be undone. So the money management side of it is really important. It's something that, you know, we, we try and, and, and drum home to people and try to emphasize as much as, as, as we can because, you, know, you could have the best tips in the world, but if you're not uh, disciplined with your staking and uh, you know you've not got the right money management, you might not actually you know succeed by following them. Yeah, absolutely, great advice. I read a research paper recently about a a rigged coin flip that was sixty percent in favor of heads and forty percent tails, and 
of the 30 well-educated people, and some of them were in finance, I believe, or MBA students, there were some who chose tails for more than one spin and some went bankrupt and some didn't even make any money on their initial their balance so you know you're right i think the the staking and money management side of it is as important as having a a great tipster or positive expectation you know tips going forward so certainly something for those who are interested to um to dig into your content and get some sort of good insights on what they should be doing before i let you sorry go ahead so i was just going to add as well one of the other things i would suggest is um you know have haven't spoken about this, but it's emotional detach, emotionally detaching yourself from your betting, and I think this is critical as well with the staking. But I find that you know if you watch a race and watch an event or a sport that you've got a bet on, you become so much more involved in it, and you're influenced so much more by the, by the result, win or lose. So that's the other key point I would add into that is uh, you know making sure that you know the way I look at my bets is it's just um, you know it's just a win or a loss, it's just a lines on a spreadsheet. And I know there's appeal for people who like certain sports, but it's separating: are you betting because you like the buzz from betting and watching the sport, or are you betting because you want to make you want to make some money? Um, I fall in that latter camp a lot of the time. So, I, I, you know, my, one of my recommendations would be to, to, to be careful if you're if you're watching the sport, if you're getting too heavily involved, because it can emotionally impact you, and, and then from that, you, you can often make some pretty poor decisions. Yeah, certainly. I think we've all been there. Um... Before I let you go, I want to ask, what's a good way or the best way for those who are interested in taking a look at the Secret Betting Club to get involved and maybe some initial steps they can take with the site and, and moving forward to find the best way to utilize the service for them? Of course, yeah. So you can visit secretbettingclub.com, secretbettingclub.com, and you can find me on, on Twitter. I'm at SBCinfo, I-N-F-O. And uh, if you visit our website and you can find it, it's a pinned tweet as well. We've got a, a variety of reports you can download for free. You've got some sample uh, tips to review, some samples and excerpts from some of our profit reports and some of the interviews that we've we've run with uh, successful punters. So all of which will give you a good grounding and kind of uh, insight into some of the uh, some of the information that we offer. Yeah, I can say I had some great fun looking at some of the content on the site and i certainly urge those who are interested to to reach out on twitter or to go on the site and have a look around and see what might be useful for them and and their punting peter thank you very much for your time i i normally speak to professional punters or bookmakers or you know other people directly involved in the betting but it's been very very fun to chat to you about the tipster industry and some of the stuff that's going on so all the very best with you and and what you're doing and i hope to do this again soon Okay, well, thanks very much, Jake. It's great to kind of talk about the tipster world and hopefully, you know, I've been able to help some of your your listeners if, if interested in tipsters. Awesome. Thanks, mate.